Guardian Property this week we finished our discussion on adverse possession and uh, this is going to be a little bit of a scrambled episode uh, mostly just because there's a lot to do with adverse possession and uh, we listed out the elements but there's a whole lot of other rules that are associated with it. As a result this episode is going to be a bit scrambled. Uh, ultimately my goal is to really finish off adverse possession for real property and finish off the rules for adverse possession of real property and then talk about adverse possession for personal property and the difference between the two. After I finish the discussion on real property, I'll explain the difference between real and personal and then ultimately use that to transition into the rules for adverse possession for uh, personal property. So finishing up this adverse possession for real property and real property is land and that's what we've been talking about and the elements that are associated with adverse possession of land uh, that we have been talking about thus far those elements are possession needs to be actual exclusive open and notorious continuous and obviously it needs to be adverse or hostile so those are the elements that we talked about our first case that we actually brought up to introduce some new rules is Howard versus Kunto. And what happened here is that the Kuntos had purchased a summer home next to a canal, and uh, they had had the land surveyed, but things were 50 feet off. Uh, everybody was shifted over a lot, one to the side. And so the Moyers are trying to, uh, were on this land, the Howard's land, and the Moyers told the Howard's, hey, you can go ahead and sue Kunto for what we would normally be doing ourselves and so that's why this case is um, uh, Howard versus Kunto and so Howard's trying to get Kunto's land Kunto's land is 50 feet uh, to the left or to the right it, it's really just to the west uh, Kunto's land is 50 feet to the west they're sitting on Howard's land and that's described in their deed and ultimately it's like okay we're trying to get this all figured out so what do you do in this situation well, the rule is a purchaser may tack the adverse use of a predecessor's uh, previous interest to their own current interest with the land. And so there's ultimately, let, let me try and explain that better than what I had said. So adverse possession, you can tack time on. So the Miller said not the Millers, the Kuntos had lived in this house for one year. Adverse possession is typically 10 years long, and uh, the previous owners had lived on this land for over 10 years. So the Kuntos, according to this rule, are allowed to tack time onto the land so that they can actually claim adverse possession because even though they didn't have it themselves for the full 10 years, there is a caveat in this, though, and what that is is that there needs to be privity between uh, the this transition of property. And so, because the original person is a trespasser, but they obtained that property through adverse possession, and then they sell that, well, then there's privity between these two people, and you can tack. If you're lacking this privity, then you're not able to tack. So privity, just to define it, is a reasonable connection of successive occupation of the property, meaning that you've got to be closely associated with someone. 
Uh, being a friend isn't enough to establish privity. A family member could be enough to establish privity. A purchase is definitely enough to establish privity. So that's the rule from Howard versus uh, Kunto. That is adverse possession. Time can be tacked if you don't mean it yourself, but there needs to be privity between those. One trespasser can't tack on to a, another trespasser that has no reasonable connection. That's a big takeaway from that case. Another rule that we need to know is disability. There's two options for disability. Uh, the first option, and this is the default option, is that adverse possession the time starts ticking, so if you live in a place and for 10 years and somebody has a disability, well, then that time doesn't start ticking until that disability ends. That's the rule. So are, what are we defining as a disability? There's three things. It's if they're a minor, if they lack mental capacity to do something, or if they're in prison. So let's say a minor, for example. A minor is two years old, and the person starts... Uh, possessing the home, uh, possessing some of the land, and it's this miner's land. Uh, it was uh, either through inheritance or actually it's probably definitely through inheritance. But this miner's land at two years old. The statute of limitations is 20 years long. What the standard rule is, uh, the default rule, is that that time doesn't start going until that miner is 18 years old. So if the person with disability came, started living on the land uh, when the minor was five years old, possessed it up until 18, that's not enough. They have to actually start tacking it on, well, adding the time once the minor has hit 18 years old. So they would have to be there from five to 18 years old, and then that person would have to be there for the rest of the time until the statute of limitations has been met. The other way to do this is that there's a limited amount of time that the person has to claim, meaning the person with a disability has to claim after the disability ends. So say, for example, the person had met all the uh, the person trying to claim adverse possession has met all the requirements for the period of time except for this person has a disability so they can't claim it. Once the person exits the disability, well then say the rule is five years. The person who previously had the disability then has five years to kick the other person off the land. So ultimately, it's going to be a shorter time frame uh, window that the adverse possession has to actually occur. This is kind of the minor um, approach, but it still is used in some jurisdictions. There are a couple of rules that we need to know. Uh, disability must exist at the beginning of the possession period, meaning once the person has start of possession, the person has to have already had the disability uh, in order for these rules to apply. Second, death ends all disabilities. Third, disabilities are not allowed to be tacked, so you can't pass uh, one disability. Uh, one person who's disabled passes on, and then the second person who's inherited the land, that doesn't start the whole process over again. 
And fourth, this ability does not shorten the statutory time requirement. So that means if the disability statute says, okay, five years after it ends, uh, but the statute of limitations requirement for, the, for adverse possession is 10 years, well, if the person's disability ends immediately at five years, well, then that doesn't mean that the adverse possession is now five years instead of 10. 10 years is still going to be the rule there. And then on one separate note, one last rule before getting into personal property is that you can't adversely possess land that is owned by the local, state, or federal government. I think that's pretty straightforward. Totally makes sense. All right, let's talk about the adverse possession of chattels. So a chattel is an object or an item that people own. It's personal property. What's the difference between personal property and real property? Well, real property is land, uh, or, and anything attached to that land, like a house, uh, or, or a well, uh, things like that. And personal property are things that are movable. Uh, so a dog, a pet, uh, my computer, uh, those are all examples of personal property. Now we have a couple of rules with personal property. Ultimately, they are slightly different rules. Uh, the adverse possession period is quite often much shorter for personal property than it is for real property, where real property has time periods that range from like 10 to 25 years. Personal property tends to go between two to six years. quickly just go over the cases. Uh, we've got Reynolds versus Bagwell. What happened in this case is that uh, the plaintiff was the person who owned the violin. The violin was stolen from him and then sold to the current owner. Later, the uh, plaintiff discovered that the violin was, done by the, uh, was possessed by the later owner and ultimately wanted to get it back. The court said, no, you can't do this because by this point, it already passed three years. And because the time had passed three years, um, which was beyond the statutory period of two years, well, the statute of limitations has run and you can't bring forth this claim. The only exception to this is if it was concealed. And so what the professor argued here is that, well, it was concealed because he changed the appearance. The varnish is gone. And the issue that happens with this, though, is that varnishment, that concealment occurred after the three-year period. So ultimately, our rule that we obtain from this analysis is that if personal property is lost, stolen, whatever it might be, well, then the new owner can adversely possess that property, take new ownership of that property. If they meet all the elements of adverse possession, including the statutory time period, and there is no element of concealment, meaning they didn't try and hide or disfigure the item in any way. And that really goes up into the open and notorious part of the element. Uh, good faith is mentioned in this, meaning that the buyer was a good faith buyer, but it ultimately doesn't really change the analysis that we have here.
Our second case was O'Keefe versus Snyder. What happened in this case is that paintings were stolen, and she failed to report the paintings, and ultimately, uh, she uh, it discovered the paintings later in a different gallery and claimed that these paintings were hers. And so, can she reclaim these paintings some 30 or so years after this? Well, the argument here was that no, she can't because the statute of limitations has already run, being a six-year period. But ultimately, what the court decides is that they adopt the discovery rule. What the discovery rule is, is the statute of limitations time doesn't start unless the person has discovered or they've had a reasonable opportunity to discover uh, the items that were missing or stolen or lost. So what that means is if she didn't put forth a good effort, well, then the statute of limitations would have run. But if she did put forth a good effort, and this is something for the trial court to determine, well, then the discovery rule will come into effect, and she would have six years after that to actually state her cause of action. That is the discovery rule. That's how adverse possession works for real property. Just to refresh everything, uh, so for real property, adverse possession elements include that it needs to be open and notorious, adverse and hostile, actual possession, exclusive possession, and then I'm missing one. And continuous possession. Those are the elements for real property. Some states add more elements. Ultimately, those are the things that are at issue. A couple of other things to mention are good faith. Bad faith plays a significant role as well. A lot of the time it doesn't matter. Um, You can tack those on. We talked about disabilities. Uh, Adverse possession of public property isn't a good thing. And then we talked about adverse possession of personal property, which tends to have a shorter statutory period. The purpose of that, which I didn't mention, is really to increase market flow. And all those things kind of work together to determine these rules. So adverse possession is something that can be pretty complicated. There's a lot of rules to go with it. And it's something I feel comfortable with but have misgivings about as far as a principle that we should follow. That's adverse possession. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is, if it is used as legal advice, 
we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.